Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Choices Finding Your Joy. And we are welcoming today a wonderful, inspiring woman. We have with us today Sherry Dixon. Sherry is a full-time life coach, spiritual coach, writer, and owner of Lighthouse Solutions, where she mentors others in finding their light. Sherry also works eight hours a day as an industrial safety professional with a large aircraft manufacturing company. She's also an author, and we're going to talk about her first book, Natural Destiny, and she's writing a second book called Seeking Forgiveness. Sherry, you are a busy lady. I love it. <laughs> Welcome. Yes, I am. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, how inspiring. Welcome. <laughs> well, I would love you to share a bit of your background and kind of what brought you from, you know, the work you do to also coaching others, writing books. I mean, it's fascinating. Yes, I, I was wondering where to begin. I think probably the best thing is to start with where I sit in our family. My parents uh, have seven children, and I'm the oldest girl. And my mother is from the island of Guam. And Guam is a matriarchal society, so the women have more power, I guess you could call it. They're the authority, let's just say that, in the household. So even though I have an older brother, I'm considered the oldest with the one with the responsibility, at least growing up. Now my brother reminds me that he is indeed the oldest. But um, my mother was always a very ambitious woman. She came up from very humble beginnings, and I'll tell you more about that and why I wrote the story. But I think her example, her role model was always work is not something that you do just for the money. It's something that's as important as breathing. So we, all of us, were just instilled with that to, to be working and to do something that we enjoy doing. That started me off. I was the first one in my family to graduate from high school and the first in my family to, to get a college degree, first an undergraduate and then a graduate degree. Many of us now have that, but I, can, I owe that all to my mother. She felt like education was the most important thing you could do for yourself. And she instilled that in all of us. And I did that with my children as well. So that started it. And then from there on, I always knew that I was going to do something more. Whatever it was that I was doing, I was just going to do something more. And I've always been just nauseatingly optimistic. I can see the good in just about everything. I didn't even know we were poor when we were coming up until somebody told me one day, and then I wasn't even sure what that meant because I always felt like we were so rich, rich with the, the love and caring and support of our parents and just a very happy family life. That started it off, I suppose. And then everything else just took off from there. When you see things like that to start off with, it's a lot easier to, to take on just about anything. And my mother, from her background, she came, overcame such adversity that I felt like, you know, I didn't know at the time when I was growing up the, the amount of the adversity, 
but I just knew that she was a hard driver, although very loving at the same time. So that's, I think, where it started. I love it. And I love the fact that you're so optimistic. It's, isn't that wonderful? And really, yes. I believe richness isn't monetary. Richness is exactly so much more. Exactly. That's why I didn't understand what it meant to be poor. When I, I first heard it was in elementary school and one of my uh, childhood um, elementary school people was just telling me, students, I'm sorry, I couldn't find the word, that um, that I couldn't go because it was some kind of get together or something with the children and, and I couldn't go because I wasn't rich enough. And I didn't know what that meant. I had no idea what it meant to be rich and what it meant to be poor and that there were any kind of labels or lines in between everything. And so when she tried to explain it to me, she couldn't. She couldn't find the words either. She just knew that I didn't have money. And I said, I don't, I don't know what that is because we just really didn't. When we were children, we didn't really talk about money. Money wasn't a part of the conversation. And so then when she was struggling to find the words, I just knew that it wasn't important to her either. She was just probably repeating it from someone else. But I think that it, the way life has always been for me is I just don't usually let anything be a barrier for me. I always know that there's a way to get there. It may not be that way, but there's another way. And so that is always the way I've been. It's, uh, and then I found out that that's a great way to be because barriers most of the time are self-imposed. And I knew that I didn't have any reason not to do something once I set a goal to do it. So I think you're right. It's, it's so much better to just be optimistic because you can always find a way when you're looking for the good and you're find, being optimistic, you're always going to find a way to get things done. That's a powerful message, Sherry. And it's true. Mm -hmm. An obstacle it may is. come that sends you in a different direction. And that path may lead you to even greater things. Exactly. Exactly. That's another thing, too. I'm so glad you said that. It's that most of the time, there isn't one way to get something done. And I think probably the people that are the most unhappy are the ones that are only looking at something one way and that it can only be done one way, especially if it's their way. One way that's their way is almost a, salute, a, a recipe for stopping because there's always ways to get around things. There's always ways to get things done. And if you have people that are on the team when you're working a project, for example, and they have just a little bit of that same desire, boy, you could just do all kinds of stuff. But if you get a couple of them where there's only one way to do it, and once they can't get there that way, they stop, well, mm -hmm. you don't want them on your team because you're not going to get anything done. Yes. So I think that way, not only for working, but also for family life and for doing things in the community, there's always a different way. Yeah. Yes. And accepting in our heart and knowing that there's so many different ways out there to accomplish things and not being so stuck on it's this way or not at all. Oh my gosh, what we can open up. It really is. Yes. Very much so. I remember when my mother came to the United States and she was from the island of Guam, as I said, 
she, when she first came to the United States, she and my father were uh, just a young couple and they started having children right away. And they both, we knew, they all knew that we needed to get, have money coming in to pay the bills and all that. Well, my mother uh, is very Asian looking. And at that time, which was in the early fifties, there was still a, a prejudice against um, the Japanese even though my mother wasn't Japanese, her eyes were slanted and she was put into the category of being Japanese. Well, no one would hire her for anything. And so she got a group of women together and they formed a business where um, she did uh, cleaning and another one did cooking, another one did sewing, another one did babysitting. I mean, they were quite the entrepreneurs to be able to get their whatever their task was that they were good at, get it done, and they were getting paid for it. So they found a way around the system. So I just feel like those kinds of things that she brought us up on are the kinds of things that have helped me be successful yeah. in this life. Yes. Oh, that's, that's a, a great message. It really is, Sherry, a great message for all of us. And, and I would love to have you talk a bit about your first book, Natural okay. Destiny. Tell us about that, if you would. Okay, I will. I, my, I was actually 50 years old when I wrote it, which was a long time ago. My mother, I was at her house, and she, she grabbed her heart, and I thought, thought she was having a heart attack. And actually, she was thinking that she needed to tell me something. She was 70 years old at the time, and it was the very first time she had ever told me that when she was 8 years old until 11 years old, she was a prisoner of war on her native island of Guam. Uh, many people don't know about Guam. They didn't know also that the Japanese occupied Guam and that Guam is, and was then a territory of the United States. So she was eight years old and lived through that kind of, of experience. Um, and I wrote her story about it, and that's uh, Natural Destiny. I didn't start out writing a book. I started out listening to my mother because it was obvious to me that she needed to talk about it. It was a lot of horrific memories that were haunting her and a, some, a lot more, too, of good things that happened, but she really needed to tell me and my sisters. So I ended up just taking notes uh, because I, I was so interested in what she was telling me. Just amazing, amazing memories from that time. And later on, my mother told me one day, she said, you know, you should write this in a book. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I guess I can do that. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't. At the time, it didn't even occur to me that I couldn't. Once I started going through the editorial process, I can tell you that the, uh, the thought did come to mind, but we did end up getting through it. My editor, Mary Johnson, was just amazing, and very patient and so knowledgeable that we went through very many rewrites of that. And actually, before the editorial process, I went and uh, entered it in the Words of Music contest, which is a an artist contest in New Orleans every year and before it had gone through the editorial process it actually placed in second place and so I knew that that was enough validation that the story was compelling enough and so that's how it was born 
And I'll tell you what, Paula, what was amazing about this too was my siblings also didn't know about it and neither did a lot of our cousins. And so when the story came out, it was almost good news because it explained so much to them. And my, I'm so happy that, that we, I wrote it when I did because now my mother has um, Alzheimer's and dementia and she is pretty much stuck in a period of time where she's very happy. She was going back in time as she was going through the process of losing her memory. And for a while, she was stuck at eight years old, which was a terrible time for her being in the war all over again. But then she regressed even further. And now she's very happy. She um, just acts very much like um, a young child. And she's just delighted with everything, which is much better than where she was. So that's how the book ended up being. And then the International Reading Association recognized the book and sent me on a book tour to Guam where I got a chance to talk with thousands of children who knew nothing about their history because it wasn't included in the curriculum. And I met some amazing people there. And the culture in Guam is matriarchal, as I said before. And it also is a place where they value their senior citizens. Seniors are revered there. They are treated with such respect. And what's a wonderful, wonderful to watch that because so many places now, uh, seniors are not treated with that kind of respect and know that, that they have value and that they're just pushed aside in so many places, but not so, not that way in Guam. Guam, they're valued. Yes. Very much. Wow. And how amazing. Sherry, for your mom to share that information with you that she did. Yes. Yes, very much so. I, I'll tell you one story, and it kind of started the whole thing, was she was eight years old in September of uh, 1941, and she was very much a tomboy, and she did not want to um, do girl things. She didn't like having long hair. So she ended up cutting all her hair off. Well, in Guam, that's a terrible thing to do. In Guam, you're only allowed to cut your hair when you're a married woman. And so her grandmother was just mortified and said, and ended up shaving her head to punish her and said, from now on, you will go to school only and you will go to church and nothing else. Well, on December 8th, 1941, which of course is December 7th, 1941, on the other side of the international dateline, my mother was in church along with other Chamorro people because it was the first day of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And they went to Mass, but after Mass, they were going to have this huge party. Well, Mama was still being punished even in December, and so she had to go home. And when she got home, a little after that, the bombs started dropping and everyone in the church was killed. That was the first time that haircut saved her life. And then um, once the Japanese landed on the island, they were very efficient people and they, they needed to separate people for what they were going to do um, on the island. Well, girls who were very young were put into the comfort house and my mother, because she had a shaved head at eight years old, looked like a boy. And so she was put into the line to work the rice fields. So that was another story 
But these are the, just examples of the amazing stories. And, and each of the stories has a life lesson, so much to the point where uh, some of the people on Guam ended up using the book as a lesson plan to talk about those life lessons and the things you could learn from those kinds of uh, experiences. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Cherry, what, what stories to share. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, I love sharing the stories, and I, I go all over to anyone who will listen. I do presentations about my mother's story because, for, for one thing, a lot of people, as I said before, they don't know what happened on Guam or maybe not even heard of Guam. And I, I go all over the place, and I remember one. It was a senior citizen home where uh, a, young, a, a woman came up to me, an older woman, and she was just crying uncontrollably after I had finished the presentation. And she said, with a very strong German accent, she said, thank you so much for telling my story. And I just looked at her and she said, yes, I, I know it wasn't, I'm not from Guam, but the same thing happened to our people over in Europe. And so it's, there's so many stories out there, Paula, so many stories that we don't know about yet, and we need to know these stories are going to go unheard. And so as much as possible, we need to tell to tell those stories. Um, one last one about that was a, a sister from one of the Catholic high schools on Guam came up to me while I was visiting Guam during my book tour. And she told me, she said, you know, I've always thought that it was better not to think about those things because I asked her because she looked like she was about my mother's age. I asked her how long she had been in the convent. And she said she had been in the convent since the, the uh, 1944. And that's when the, the Japanese, I mean, uh, the Americans liberated the Island of Guam from the Japanese. And I said, Oh no, that means of course that she was not spared the comfort house. And she said she always felt like she needed to keep it a secret. But after reading the book, she realized that the stories needed to be told. And she was very excited. And she said, I have two gigs next week. <laughs> she was just so excited. And she was getting ch chances all over to tell that story. And I just thought, wow, how heartwarming is that to be able to be a part of that? Yes. And, and you sharing those stories gives so many people that are familiar or may have experienced that type of thing. You give them strength and hope. Yes, very much so. So tell us, Sherry, about the book you're writing now, Seeking Forgiveness. Is it... Seeking Forgiveness. Yeah, Seeking Forgiveness. Is it themed along that line? Tell us about that book. Okay, I will. After mom uh, started... Uh, when she started going through the memory loss process, I realized that there were going to be a lot of things that I didn't know. Well, there's a, a woman that was doing a videography project in Guam on this, and she was talking to survivors. And uh, my mother had told her a story, and I won't ruin it because it's a big part of the book. But it was a it was a part of it was a terrible story about uh, not a terrible story, but a terrible time when my mother felt like she had done something really awful. She was, she was nine years old and she carried this burden around with her that 
drove every single decision that she made after that. I mean, it was it was a uh, very horrible, horrible time to be coming up in her formative years to go through the experience of being a prisoner of war, seeing things that a child should never see, and coming out of it even with a positive attitude about things. But it was almost as if she was running from something all the time. And I think that's what ended up happening. The book is about what happened to my mother once she got to the United States and the kinds of things that she came across and how they affected her life and my life and also how I ended up, uh, how that affected my life and raising my children. Because I think that there are a lot of people who are doing exactly that, that they're living with something in the past that they feel is driving them and they need to let go of it. And what, what it's doing is it's making them make choices that are really not the right choices for them. It's a choice for something that happened years ago, but not something that they, don't, that they need to be carrying around anymore. And I'm hoping that this book is going to be that. It's going to help them realize that they don't need to be burdened with these kinds of self-imposed feelings, that there's so many other choices that they could be making. My mother, um, as as I said, she made so many choices, and I think a lot of them were based on something that she felt she did, and it really didn't matter as much as she thought it did. But to a nine-year-old child, it ended up forming her life, so so much of her life. So that's what the point is in, in uh, seeking forgiveness is those of us who have been survivors of people who have been through being a prisoner of war, and then even if you haven't been through that, that you may be having been affected by someone else's burden and you're carrying it around with you and you don't need to anymore. That's where I'm trying to go with it. Oh, Sherry. Yeah. That is such a gift. You doing this. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, bringing information as well, because there's so much that, that so many of us don't realize people have gone through. Tell, tell everyone if you would, where they can get a copy of your book and, and how they can learn more about you on your website. Okay, I will. Um, The name of the book is Natural Destiny. You can get it on Amazon.com. It's also available. It's available in hard copy, the paperback copy, I'm sorry, and uh, ebook. I'm also trying to develop an audio book because I realized that a lot of people who are in that generation from the Pacific campaign may not be able to read as well. So I'm, I'm going to be putting out an audio book. It's also in Charleston, available at the Charleston County Library, so you can also read it, uh, just get a copy there to read it. My website is www.sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y, S, like Sherry, Dixon, D-I-X-O-N, dot com. And I'm also available on Facebook. I'm Sherry Dixon Books, I think it is. But you can put my name in there, and you can locate me there. Oh, I love it. Love it. Sherry, with just a few minutes left for us, what last words do you want to say to everyone today? I think probably the best thing to do is just be kind 
to people. There's so much unkind people and, and misery around, and it really doesn't take a lot to just be kind. Being happy has a lot to do with that kind of outlook, where you're always just knowing that there's good there. All you have to do is just look for it, because if you don't, the misery is just going to overtake you. And you can just start off by being grateful. Just be grateful for what you have, even if it's just being able to get up in the morning, just start off with that. Uh, the best thing for me and the one that works the best is for me is I start off just forgiving, forgiving anyone that, that has ever done anything to me or that I've ever done anything to, and then starting from that point and just being grateful for what I have. And com coming up with that, it's just very easy to be happy and have a positive attitude. And believe me, when you are positive, positive finds you and it'll continue to find you. Yes. And isn't that so fascinating and so wonderful? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes, yeah. it is. I, I haven't heard it uh, in that verbiage. I think that's so perfect. When you're positive, positive finds you because we do. What yes. we put out there, we get more of. Yes, we do. And gosh, Sherry, you know, I really believe focusing on, you know, even one thing every morning that you're grateful for, that just sets the tone of your whole day. It does. Oh. It does. It's a heck of a lot better than just waking up thinking, oh, my gosh, what a terrible day. Believe me, that's a horrible way to start a day. It's much better the other way. Yeah. Oh, thank you for being such an inspiration to others. And I'm really excited for your second book. Uh, about, do you have a time frame for that? for us? No, um, I, I'll be retiring from my eight hour a day job next year. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to publish it next year. Uh, I've had to have a couple of restarts, but I'm, that's what I'm try, striving for is next year. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. You are an inspiration and just a gift to all of us, Sherry. I am so grateful to have met you and connected with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me, Paula, and thank you for the work you're doing here. Oh, thank you. You're so welcome. And love, hugs, and blessings. And to everyone out there, love, hugs, and blessings. Are you looking to open the beautiful door to the beautiful modality of Reiki, a hands-on energy healing modality? Radio host, Reiki master, speaker, and published author, Paula Vale would be honored to assist you in your Reiki training. For details, go to wellnessinspired.com. You may also contact Paula at paula at wellnessinspired.com to schedule your training.